Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all-important me-time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. I am so excited and I'm not going to lie, a little bit nostalgic to introduce my guest this week, the former Blue Peter presenter, Connie Hook time to yourself changes as a mum so you might savour that moment where you sit down with the cup of tea and they're just in the other room for two minutes and that's sort of time to yourself because you just have to snatch it as and when you can eating a chocolate biscuit in a cupboard hiding from view (laughs) or whatever you know you learn to you learn to savour these precious moments. Connie Hook is a television presenter, screenwriter and children's author. She was the longest-serving female presenter in Blue Peter history, gracing our screens from 1997 until 2008. In 2010, she married Black Mirror creator Charlie Brooker. The pair have two young sons. More recently, Connie turned her hand to writing children's books. She's the author of a series titled Cookie, And the most recent instalment, Cookie and the Most Annoying Girl in the World, came out earlier this month. Connie Hook, welcome to the Alonement podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. I know that you've just returned from holiday. Yes. Well, from, yeah, being away in Devon and Cornwall for a week which was lovely because it was very sunny and now I seem to have returned to very rainy weather but I, I don't mind the rain at all actually and I know that we need it to feed the greenery so it's all good and actually it was really hot so I've had had my fair share. Yes and um, and then now you're back from a family holiday, which I imagine was quite intense quality time together. And as a total contrast, we are recording a podcast about time alone. Um, I want to start off by asking you the question that I ask every guest, which is, what does the words alone mean to you? Um, Weirdly, so the thought of being alone conjures up this sort of vision of floating in space I always think that as people we have certain anchors so 
for instance, it might be having a partner, your friends, your family, um, job security and stability, you know, a place to live. There's certain anchors that we have. And I remember actually in my being in my 20s and um, I think I found out my dad had cancer. So I knew he didn't have that long to live. I had sort of come out of a relationship. I was going freelance. So, you know, job security was something I'd known since sort of university. And I remember thinking that sort of you have these anchors and the more that sort of they're cut, the more you're just sort of floating. Uh, and that's what it is to sort of be alone, not having any of those anchors in a way. You're just sort of floating in space. And that's interesting because it's a sort of, I guess there's a freedom to it, but there's also a real difficulty to it. Of course, you, your father passed away from cancer in 2014 so that must have been a really horrible thing to go through and yet it's that sort of you know losing a parent I suppose it forces you to have a sort of different independence you sort of grow up in a strange way yeah I mean the weird thing is he was diagnosed a, a lot earlier so you know you someone's diagnosed with sort of cancer and then it turns to you know he, he had a secondary cancer so we thought it'd gone away and then it came back and then you do think, oh, it's going to be really quick and he'll be gone. And actually, from the diagnosis to him passing away was actually 10 years. But I just remember at that time having that thought of like, oh, wow, I'm older and I'm independent. You're sort of not, you know, a kid, you know, relying on your family. They get older, your parents, and sort of have to start relying on you a bit more. And that's... By the time he did pass away, actually, I so, sort of was married and had two kids. So, you know, that loss was sort of, I, I wasn't just sort of floating in space. There were new anchors and these do sort of regenerate as it were. But I think, you know, when I think of sort of being alone, that's the vision that I have in my head. That sort of just floating in space sort of like with nothing to sort of anchor you but you know I do think that obviously sort of being alone isn't the same is it really as you know you can be alone and be you know being a mum of two kids that have boundless energy sometimes like even now just doing this podcast with you sitting in a room having same conversation I mean obviously I'm not alone alone because I'm chatting to you but even if I was like reading a book or whatever you know that is also being alone I am quite a loner actually I'm not a very sociable wants to be out person I've always been a real homebody and I like being on my own and actually weirdly though when I hear the word alone that's the picture of me the floating in space is what comes into my head but weirdly I don't think of being on my own as the same as being alone, even though it is, because I quite like being on my own and I don't feel like I'm alone because you're not if you've got those, um, you know, the anchors and that I was talking about. You can be on your own, but you just know at the end of a phone or wherever, you know, you've got this sort of network of support, a safety net, as it were. So 
you know, I actually do love being alone. Um, you know, I, I, I remember actually weirdly even growing up and even now really, I'm never friends with people in big groups. I'm much more friends with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and, you know, obviously it's quality, not quantity, but I always find group dynamics can be tricky anyway. Um, and I find it sort of, you get, you know, you get more quality of friendship being one-on-one -on -one friends. And then organically a group might grow, but primarily first and foremost, I have to be friends with sort of people one-on-one, -on -one, if that makes sense. That does. I suppose you do get more of a quality of connection when you are one-on-one -on -one with someone because in a big group you can sort of you know the the conversation can sort of get lost a bit yeah absolutely and you know it's like that thing of social media in that people think they know how people are because they almost see like an avatar of blah blah's eating smarties and blah blah's doing this and look look at their cappuccino it's got a little heart in the froth or whatever and actually it's that thing of you only really can form proper bonds i think through contact proper contact and i also think that although you have a lot of fun in a group and a group is great you get much more genuine proper contact you get to know what someone's going through by having really good one-on-one -on -one friendships and if you've got lots of those you know even if you're on your own or whatever and like I say similar ties with I don't know family and your partner or whatever then you even when you are alone you're never really alone if that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> I find that concept of anchors so interesting would you say that having so in the period um, between your father's diagnosis and his death you became a mother and you were married to your husband Charlie Brooker the creator of Black Mirror did mm. you, would you say that those being anchored was a help during that time? It, it you know, it enabled you to feel less? Definitely. Lonely. Yeah, I think that the thing of the anchors is if you lose them all, you can, you, that's being really lonely. That's being really alone. You need some of them. And the more you lose, the more sort of lonely you feel, I guess. But, you know, you can have loads and loads of, I don't know, good friends and not any family. And so the friends compensate not having any family, for instance. So it's when you don't have any of anything, you know, that you can have superficial friends, but it's having this sort of genuine article, you know, people that really like you for you, um, as opposed to, you know, liking you for superficial stuff. You know, people can... I don't know, like people for who they are, meaning, you know, I don't know what job they have or what house they live in or, you know, really sort of superficial stuff as opposed to sort of the internal person. That's so interesting. And especially I'm, I'm intrigued because you come from a Muslim Bangladeshi background where traditionally, mm -hmm. you know, your anchors will be marriage and kids. And of course, you've got those things but you married relatively late in your late 30s compared to possibly you know more traditional members of the community do you think that you found those anchors in your friends or elsewhere beforehand I mean weirdly like I say yeah you've 
you know, I had my parents and my family and I'm, you know, I'm lucky in that I've got really nice friends. You know, uh, I've had job security, you know, uh, always had a roof over my head, all of these things. Um, So I've never really, really actually gone through life feeling lonely, uh, I don't think. Um, Sometimes I've felt, you know, alone, like I said, on my own, but not lonely uh, because sometimes it's nice just to have you time, quality time, um, you know, away from kids or away from people or whatever, you know. You know, I'm a real homebody. I think once you see that happiness comes from within rather than sort of seeking it from all these external things, then then that's a really good basis for not never feeling alone, even when you're on your own. Mm. That happiness from within, is that something you have always had or do you think it's something that's developed over time? You know what, it's really weird, but I was chatting to a friend the other day, but I've always, since I was young, just had these periods of time you know, not in periods, instances where I just think, oh, my God, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I could burst. And it doesn't come from anything in particular. Like, it doesn't mean I'm doing something amazing or whatever. It can just be a mundane moment. And I like, I wonder, does everyone have that? Does everyone sometimes feel that? And like, I've asked different friends and there are some people that do and some people that don't. But just like for no reason, you just think, oh, I'm so happy I could explode. And it's not because, I don't know, you're at your birthday party or anything. It just sort of creeps up. So I've always had that. No, I've just always had that. Like, And I've always thought I am, a, you know, I am lucky enough to be a happy person. But then the thing is, is I don't think I need much to be happy, you know. And actually, you know, being lonely is a really big part of being unhappy, I think. Um, because, like I say, being lonely I think of as a negative Whereas being alone isn't negative. Coming back to what you said about happiness for you coming from quite mundane things sometimes. What about, for instance, when you were first offered your job as a Blue Peter presenter? That must have been incredibly elating. And surely those external things play a part in making you happy. Yeah, definitely. What I think of it as is like if you think of things like, I don't know, material goods and, you know, a job and, you know, all of this stuff, these things that people seek, they seek, you know, having a better job, having more money, having, you know, a nicer car, a nicer house, trendy clothes, you know, all of this stuff. And it does bring happiness and it brings happiness but then you want the next thing. So it brings happiness sort of in the short term. But as long as you don't feel like, oh, now I've got this job, I need to have that job. Or now I've got the iPhone 1000, I need the 2000 and the 3000. Because there's always going to be more and more and more. And I think people start off by being happy. And then they start sort of competing and chasing this thing that is never ultimately attainable. Because there's always going to be someone that's, I don't know, got more or has a bigger house or that has more money or has more followers or has, you know, trendier clothes or whatever it is. And actually, even they're not happy because they want, there's always someone with more and more and more. And if you get to the top, there's only one way to fall, which is down. 
and then the negative aspect of the happiness is is that sort of when it's taken away or when you see someone that's got more or that's better or whatever then people feel sadness and it's like hang on can't you just be happy for what you know you had but it's like a drug i think and people aren't satisfied and that yeah that is the sort of problem which is why you know often it's sort of the richest the most successful people you know they often have sort of depression or i don't know they might have you know you think how could that happen how did how they not just living the dream but and i think it's because of what i'm saying to you sort of suddenly nothing is enough and not only that people will just start judging each other so you have the amazing thing so then i don't know you move to the amazing house and then all your neighbors around you have these amazing houses but then that one's got an extension or whatever so then you want to have the extension and then suddenly it's sort of keeping up with the joneses and being worried about being judged so like all my friends I have I'm you know 100% sure they like me for me and I can like wear untrendy clothes or whatever and they won't judge me or think anything of it you know I can just be me and that's what I want. You took a conscious step to move away from television presenting um, in order to look after your sons Covey and Huxley who uh, they have the two most amazing names um, and also you know to concentrate on your um, writing children's books would you think knowing having that core of happiness in yourself away from that external you know glossy television presenting life do you think that helped enable that decision? You know what? I'm a bit of a control freak and the young years just go so quickly. And I did do the, I did this job for Sky uh, early on. Because at first I was like, oh, I can do it all. And I remember I, it was filmed in Chelmsford. It's one of these King of the Nerds where all the contestants live in a house, right? And then they... They vote each other off, you know, there's teams and the team that wins gets a prize, you know, like where they will go bowling or whatever treat. And then the other team, someone has to come out and, you know, it's one of those. They all sort of live in the house and you see their behind the scenes. stuff. And it was all filmed in this sort of Hogwarts style, stately home sort of building in Chelmsford. And I remember saying, well, I've got babies, so I can't overnight. So I had to commute to Chelmsford every day, which meant I would be up at like 5 a.m. and have to express milk for the baby, get in the car, you know, wake up before the baby's awake, which is unheard of, you know, and then you'd be filming this stuff and basically I would be um, willing for them to wrap so they could film the actuality footage, which is the contestants in the house. Because I knew that if I got on the A406, before four o'clock, my journey would like half in time before rush hour. And if not, you know, my boobs would be exploding with milk for the baby, you know, on the way back. And I just remember thinking I'm just doing everything terribly. You know, I'm working terribly and I'm mumming terribly. And actually the, those years go so quickly. You know, kids just seem to grow up so quickly uh and you know it's about quality of life i think when you reach your 40s you know you'll let mid 30s early 40s you're not trying to sort of impress the world anymore whereas before that you're sort of trying to impress the world you're sort of trying to find out who you are you're not necessarily confident in yourself 
you want to sort of please others and I don't know follow fashion and do the trendy cool things to do and then you realize actually it's sort of a no-brainer you know actually that doesn't bring happiness uh, and actually that is quite a lonely existence because it's very superficial and like I say the important thing is to have friends and people around you that are totally genuine and for real there's no judgment and do you think when you met your husband Charlie Brooker you you married after something like nine months of dating so it was quite quick to move forward I read that he didn't originally want kids but when he met you that all changed was there something about meeting the right person that gave you that added confidence to go forward into that next part of your life well we were friends for years before we actually got together which is some of the best I mean you know the best relationships but they say that the best relationships is when you get together with someone you work with or someone you meet in education because you've got to know them beforehand you know so you don't have to do all that sort of double guessing and you know ah, should I text now am I too keen all that game playing nonsense and rubbish uh so um yeah you're right he didn't really he wasn't into the idea of kids but that's because he hadn't met the right person quite obviously um you know why wouldn't you want to spread this gene pool (laughs) procreate yeah so yeah I think it was a no-brainer really you know, marriage and kids, it just felt right, I guess. You just go with the flow. Yeah, I think when you know, you know. I didn't ever think twice, like, oh, is this too fast? Is this too soon? You know, I just sort of knew. Mm. When you moved over to your... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're writing children's books career, so complete pivot. It's interesting loneliness in the context of your character, Cookie, because she's a nine-year-old Bangladeshi girl who is crazy about science and... You've also said in interviews she she feels like a bit of an outsider at times. Was your childhood at all an inspiration for her? Yeah, definitely. I think as kids, like I say, I think it's not until you get to like your mid thirties that you're sort of or or your thirties, you you're sort of not confident who you are. You're trying to fit in and be accepted by everyone, and you're a bit insecure, and you just want to be part of the gang almost, and. I grew up uh, as, you know, British Bangladeshi uh, in West London, in, you know, I went to private school for my secondary school, you know, and I think part of me wants to be, you know, a cool girl that flicks her hair about and sort of, you know, is really fashionable and looks like, you know, a catwalk model or whatever. I don't know, all the stereotypes that sort of, I don't know, young teenagers want to be. Um, but also before that, even primary school, I just remember sort of, I don't know, thinking things like, oh, I wish my mum didn't wear a sari or, oh, you know, can't my dad wear jeans or whatever, you know, just sort of, or stuff like, oh, you know, I don't feel as cool or as you know I don't feel like I'm one of the gang I felt like a bit of an outsider but then I think everyone feels like a bit of an outsider in certain scenarios and everyone can relate to that and um you know often you read books and you feel that they don't necessarily cater to you so Cookie sees the absurd in everyday life so there's a lot of comedy in the books you know yes she's a British Bangladeshi Muslim girl but She's actually a cross between Bridget Jones and Wimpy Kid, I always say. And you see her head thoughts by way of these funny comic strips that are throughout the book. And she really does see the absurd in everyday life. So it's totally laugh out loud. And it sort of makes being a bit different, being normal. So there is a TV presenter character in the book, but she's a bit naff. And there is this sort of Instagram kid. And she's a bit naff. And actually, knowledge is cool and science is cool. And why should we always be dumbing down, actually? You know, Cookie and her friend like collecting lists of funny long words. And it's actually better to surround kids with sort of stereotypes that we want them to sort of see, not sort of ones that are, you know, counter-constructive for a sort of good and fair and inclusive, diverse society. It's like a positive peer pressure almost. You know what I, th- I always sort of say? It's like hidden vegetables in a pasta sauce. So you are getting values of diversity and inclusivity and education and science and 
like all the good stuff. But because it's a funny romp, kids won't notice it that they're getting it because it's entertaining. So it's stealth education and it's stealth work. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's the best type of education, education through entertainment, really. Stealth woke, that is a great term. Is that something you came <laughs> up with? Weirdly, so my friend described my book as stealth woke. Um, Caroline Criado Perez, who's a very cool feminist, she put Jane Austen on the banknotes and campaigns. She wrote the book Invisible Women. Yes, um, yes, I love her. Yeah, so she, yeah, she coined the phrase. I'd love to claim it as my own, <laughs> but alas, no. Really interesting. Um, I really like that uh, as as a method. And when you when you were growing up at school, did you feel were there many other Bangladeshi kids or many other Muslim kids? So you know there were a handful of sort of ethnic minority kids at primary school, but you know we all knew each other. I could count. In fact, you know one of them I'm still really good friends with. So I went to primary school and secondary school with her, um, and. I think, you know, I guess people just gravitate towards each other by things that define them anyway. So, you know, now as a mum, I often might gravitate towards other people that are mums because you've got that in common, you know. Or I don't know, if you're into manga, you might gravitate to other people that are into manga. You know, we're all defined by all these different characteristics, aren't we, um, that sort of make us who we are. And so... Yeah, you know, I did have, you know, I had friends that weren't Asian, but I had friends that were Asian and, you know, a big cross section because you find things in common with different people that are different things. So you didn't necessarily feel lonely, you know, being part of a small minority of Bangladeshi people at your school because you had other interests which you bonded with people over. You didn't just feel defined by your culture in that respect. No, and I think you don't, you feel defined by so many different things, you know, there's loads of things that define you as a person, like you might be, I don't know, bad at sport, and so you might sort of bond with someone else that's bad at sport because you're always sitting on the bench in PE, or I don't know, there's just there's so many things that define us, but you know, similarly, you know, I have friends you know, Asian Muslim friends. And I guess, you know, there's certain upbringing things and cultural things that you've got in common that you can laugh about. Similarly, you know, friends that grew up in the 80s, you know, we can laugh about nostalgia from the 80s that someone else might not get if they didn't grow up in that area. You know, there's so much stuff. That's the brilliant thing about human beings. There's loads that define us. And the minute you just see sort of skin colour and ethnicity and race and religion is just another one of those things you know it's just another characteristic then we can just get rid of you know prejudice do you think you have had a life that is relatively free from loneliness then i, I do I, i've never really really ever felt lonely because like i said i've got these really good friends and i do think it's quality not quantity i think people can spread themselves thin when it comes to friends i mean when you, your core friends, it's quality, not quantity, I would say. And then there's loads of other sort of friends knocking about as well, you know. And like I say, different friends for different things. You know, you've got that friend that might be brilliant for just having a laugh with and that friend that's great for going to the park with the kids with or whatever. Different friends for different occasions. But I've 
very fortunate. I've never ever really felt lonely um, at all, I'd say. And I've never really felt unhappy, you know. I've never really had depression or, you know, felt the need for therapy or, I don't know, I've, I feel really blessed in that way. I'm so lucky. But then part of it is, you know, I think my parents came over in the 60s from Bangladesh and, you know, the hope of also giving us kids a better life. And, you know, they came from a village in Bangladesh, essentially. And, you know, Bangladesh is massively overpopulated, densely, densely populated country, low level, so prone to flooding, very poor. You know, it's the complete antithesis, I guess, of uh, the UK. And actually, you know, they brought me up to realise how lucky I am. You know, it's a lottery. You could have been born in, you know, a war-torn place. You could have been born in famine. You know, you could be a Syrian refugee. It's only a lottery where we're born. And actually, we should just be so grateful because there's always someone so much worse off. There's so many people worse off than you. And really, you have to, if you just, in your primary years knows kind of what's what and right and wrong and empathy and good morals then I think you you know it's hard to be unhappy if you if if we get kids right in the primary years you know I do think the recipe for happiness comes then because happiness is all to do with where you set your benchmarks and your your goals and your standards and actually I always say that if people have really high expectations they're setting themselves up for a life of disappointment why not have you know I don't know the blue peter job is a bonus as opposed to something that you aspire to and I think in society we just aspire we set ourselves these targets and then we set ourselves up for disappointment you know I'm always saying like if you'll only eat in a Michelin starred restaurant then more for you because you know, you're going to have a lot of disappointment your whole life. And that that is with everything. You know, if you're only going to be satisfied if you look really trendy or if you're only going to be, you know, if you're setting these high standards, A, you just mix with people that are judgmental because you're in those circles. And B, you know, it's just you're setting yourself up for unhappiness when you don't achieve all of that stuff. And, you know, that unhappiness in loneliness are really intricately entwined yes it's one of the most unhappy emotions i think so to look at the opposite to loneliness which is alonement as a working mother of two do you get much time to yourself no not at all the only time i get to myself is when they're asleep um because they are boundless energy. My two are literally ricocheting off the walls from morning till night. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's fun and it's amusing. Um, but, yes, I'd say actually time to yourself changes as a mum. So you might just savour that moment where you sit down with a cup of tea and they're just in the other room, you know, for two minutes. And that's sort of time to yourself because you just have to snatch it as and when you can eating a chocolate biscuit in a cupboard hiding from view or whatever you know you learn to you learn to savor these precious moments really so you know you change your definition i guess of time to yourself 
And actually, like I say, it's all transient. You know, I can't believe they're both out of nappies and they're both in school. It's zipping past at a rate of knots. You know, so I'm glad that I've been here for every moment. To get to drop off some pickups, I will, you know, move heaven and earth. All my work is done in the window of nine till three um, because I, I want to be there. Because... Like I say, these primary years, this, this is the adults that they'll be. You know, in your primary years, you're shaping and forming. Even by your secondary school, the blueprint is set. By your 20s, you're done. By your 30s, you need therapy to undo all that weird stuff in your head. So really, if you don't get the primary years right, you know, you've screwed up an adult, basically. So it's really important. It really is. And as grown-ups, you know, we all know that we're just a product of our upbringing. All those weirdisms, all those hang-ups, all those things people might need therapy for, It's all. it all happened in the primary years when you were shaping and forming because we're all born out of mummy's tummy as a blank canvas. And everything that's painted on that canvas is what has been put upon you by society and the people that sort of bring you up. You married and you had kids fairly late. Do you think that having time to yourself to be, well, to be single or to to have a more independent existence, do you think that helped to set you up for this sort of intense time where you are, you know, you're very much a hands-on mother and you, you know, that always, you know, you're always looking to spend time with them? Yeah, you know what? I feel I did it the right way around. So I did all that stuff in my 20s. I traveled to every continent, had amazing experiences in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, you know, you name it, Canada, America. I've been there. I did that. I saw that. I got the book and the T-shirt and the mug, Um, you know, and I, you know, had amazing job experiences. And, you know, I did things that I just wouldn't be able to now but I got it out of my system while I was young you know and actually now they can keep me young till they're older and then I'll have the golden years once they've left home where I can just sort of um you know sit back and relax and have another epiphany as it were but I really think that yeah because now because I've seen it and done it I don't really care I don't I don't feel so ambitious now because that's that I did all that in my 20s and 30s and I you know and I had real fun and now my time is with them really because I ticked those boxes and I don't sort of you know I don't I feel I have no regrets or anything and actually I don't need to sort of prove myself anymore or you know it's like I was saying I don't feel the need to get more or go higher or you know faster you know powerful, richer, whatever, all these things that people just want in life. I don't feel that need at all. So if I understand correctly, alonement for you was sort of the earlier part of your life, really, particularly your 20s and the first half of your 30s. Yes, yeah, so I mean, I remember actually towards the end of you know, being child free, as it were, because, you know, having children obviously stops that sort of independence and freedom to a big extent. Uh, I did filming in China for six months. I did a Lonely Planet show for Discovery. Uh, Six months, sorry, six weeks. And it was with a production company that were based in uh, Singapore. And so I didn't know anyone of the team. 
and they were all from everywhere like you know Canada and you know different places and and uh you know obviously filming in China you can't speak the language and lots of people don't speak English there um you know the food is really different the culture is really different everything is really really different and I do remember thinking like I've done all this now I'm really just I'm ready to just have kids I think mm. like I feel I've done it all and you know six weeks was quite a long time and I was married then I was just just married and it was a long time to be away from my husband it felt like it felt like years that six weeks and I just thought I'm over this now I'm ready for the next phase so if you you know say on the weekend say you've got you know you've got an hour to yourself say Charlie's looking after the kids um what what do you do with that time how do you sort of recalibrate um, and you know get in touch with yourself away from that role as a mother you know what I really don't even feel the need <laughs> to get away but I guess I you know have a bath or something you know I, I can honestly say that since having the kids like I haven't spent that much time away from them I did one job I think one job where I overnighted away from them and like, I haven't been away like for a week or whatever without them not even with you know, I don't know, going on holiday with a girlfriend or whatever, because I really don't mind. I really like them. They're fun. And I, I don't know, you know, I mean, we're lucky we have a large enough house. Like now I'm away from them doing this podcast, you know, they're, they're downstairs doing their thing. I, I, you know, I think it would be different if I was in like a, you know, a two bedroom flat or whatever, or, you know, but I don't, I think more when they were babies and young because they weren't at school, I might feel like, oh, I'm just, you know, my, my eldest, no, my youngest was really a clingy, clingy baby. But, you know, I feel that I can be alone in my own head, really, get my alone time because it's all to do with thinking and what's in your brain. And, you know, that's what I like about reading books, actually, that it's all in your head and it can transport you to new worlds. You know, it's, Apart from our brains, the rest is just kind of an exoskeleton, isn't it? And it's how you feel in your head. So, oh, look, aha, one of them's actually Aww. coming in this room <laughs> as we speak. Hello. What's up? My legs hurt. This is Clingy Aww. One. Clingy One's legs hurt. <laughs> Why does your I'm leg not hurt? Clingy One. <laughs> You're not Clingy One. Your name is Huxley, isn't it? Yeah? Aww. You have a name. <laughs> and a personality <laughs> see i don't mind <laughs> that even when i'm alone they come and try and take my laptop away from me i need the laptop do you what do you need it for they've both Scrum. got into scratch which is coding oh, so wow. code yeah i know this is what young people do now they computer program and do coding which even i don't understand but it means that they they like being on mummy's laptop Aww. um yeah, uh, but yeah, it's weird. They're more high tech than I am. Wanna do scratch? You wanna do scratch? You have to wait till we finish recording this podcast. Aww. Do you like mummy to have alone time? Is it good for mummy to sometimes have time away from the kids to recalibrate? I don't know. I don't know. Or do you think it's better for mummy to be with you the whole time? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. This one is so clingy. He'll still come into my bed. He's six years old Aww. and he feels the need to infiltrate mummy's bed. Mummy and daddy just want... <laughs> come on. 
Uh, he's now sort of tickling me. Um, so there you go. My alone time is already over for the, for the podcast. You see, Aww. they find me where I am. I remember when he was really little, literally I couldn't go to the toilet on my own because he, I'd ha- if I shut the door, he'd be screaming. And there was this horror film called It Follows, which is about this thing, which wherever you go in the world, no matter where, this sort of zombie will come and find you. It follows. And we used to call Huxley It Follows <laughs> because you'd just follow me around everywhere, didn't you? I don't remember. That. You don't remember, I don't remember. do you? <laughs> it's, it's well, honestly, Huxley has amazing timing because we were coming up to the end of the interview. Ah, okay. Oh, well, it's been real fun. You can say bye, Hux, as well. He's being shy now. This is the thing about kids. They're always, like, really, really intelligent and outgoing and stuff in private. And then the minute you want to show them off to a friend (laughs) and go, do that thing that you did, they go all shy and bashful. Oh, isn't he gorgeous? But it's been a real pleasure chatting to you about alonement. Pleasure. Thank you. It was amazing to chat to you and to have such a special guest. So thank you as well, Huxley. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Say bye, Hux. Bye, bye. Say bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do rate, review or subscribe. It makes a big difference to helping other people find us. Until next time. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.